Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Hello, happy new year, guys. Welcome to uh, a new decade for Woven. Just kidding. It's a new decade for everyone. <laughs> and because of that, you're probably getting a lot of messages right now. Um, saying things like, hey, did you overindulge during the holidays? Hey, it's January. And for some reason in America in January, we all think we're supposed to lose 10, 15 pounds. Um, so we thought what we would do since body image is sort of one of those topics. Rebecca, we, we covered this in one of our first like five episodes. Yeah, we did yeah. one on body image. Yeah. I mean, this is something that um, yeah. as, we, as we've like talked to you guys, our listeners and you know, you're mostly women, you're mostly around our age, 30s, 40s, um, 50s. And this is just a topic that doesn't really go away um, for women. And it makes me mad, frankly, um, as a mom of daughters to think about just our culture and how, um, how thinness is sort of like the the grand accomplishment of women. It just kind of makes me mad because if you really start diving into the messages we receive and the way they're presented, it can feel like to be a successful woman, I have to be like thin, small and nice, right? Like that's sort of like Brene Brown says, like those are your, that's like the cultural representation of women. And then, you know, men have their own problems. But so anyway, as we were thinking about January, we were like, well, let's counteract some of these cultural messages that we know you're going to be getting about losing weight because the thing is we ebb and flow. We all probably gain 10 pounds over the holidays and it'll come off because that's life and it's normal to fluctuate and these things are normal. So we want to normalize it and kind of be a voice to counteract what you're probably hearing. And so because of that, we're doing a series on body image in January and we promise we won't tell you to lose weight. We (laughs) promise we won't tell you to buy like, shakes or like slim fast or any, you know, like we're not going to tell you to do anything crazy. We just want to get back to like, why we want you to know that you're not crazy because I think a lot of times you can go into this and think like, well, I was fine, but now I'm starting to feel like I should care about this stuff. I think Rebecca, that's more your thing. Yeah. Would you say like, cause you don't really struggle with this, but you think like, should I struggle with this? <laughs> like everyone else seems to be upset about well, and I, well, and also, I mean, I'm definitely, I, I didn't used to struggle with it. Like it's not a lifelong struggle for me, but you know, as you get older and you age and I'm, you know, um, you know, have uh, hormonal stuff that i struggle with and health stuff that I struggle with that have caused my body to change from versus what it used to be. And I mean, we've all, we all change and I'm 40 versus a 20 year old body. Um, so I mean, there are like things that I have, I have to think of, I have health stuff that I have to pay attention to, but like how, mm-hmm. how to be healthy without, um, going crazy, um, and taking care of my body without, um, without going to one side or the other was interesting. You know, everything we do, we talk about balance, right? And so Mm -hmm. there's the, there's the one side of the spectrum that's like, um, you know, you need to be skinny. You need, you need to do this diet or this diet or this diet. It's the new year, new you, blah, blah, blah. So there's that side of the spectrum. And then there's the other side of the spectrum. And it was funny. I, we're having this big conversation with my family. I'm, I'm currently in Texas right now with my family. I'm in a closet and my, my brother and sister-in-law's closet right now. She's Texas Pete. <laughs> I'm literally as Texan as it gets. I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 pairs of cowboy boots, cowboy boots. No joke. 
on the floor of this closet <laughs> and I am leaning against a gun safe as I speak. <laughs> it doesn't get any more Texas than this currently right now. Anyways, so I'm with my family and we had a conversation about Lizzo. And you know, if you don't know who Lizzo is, go Google it. Uh, I'm not going to talk to you about Lizzo. But like, so we were talking about that other Everyone end of the... What? What'd you Everyone say? knows Lizzo, don't they? Uh, my mom didn't know who Lizzo was. So we had to have a it's conversation. It's 2020, Rebecca. <laughs> So anyways, we're talking about Lizzo and like, I was saying, oh, I love her message, blah, blah, blah. And then we started like scrolling her Instagram and David was like, is that really the message you want to give our girls? Like, not that it's not important to be like, oh, it it doesn't matter or whatever. But like, she goes the other end of the spectrum. And the point for her is, is she goes all, she swings all the way to the other end of the spectrum because she's trying to draw attention to the situation, which I, I'm, I'm like, what, you know, they were pulling up Instagram videos of her, um, you know, twerking at the Grammys or whatever. And, and I'm like, everybody's talking about it. Beyonce or Taylor Swift or her, whoever can twerk and be skinny and nobody talks about it, but she's doing this (laughs) because she wants people to talk about it and like, you know, make notice of, um, body image, um, skewing, but she does it all the way to the extreme. Like we're not going to be, if you go look at Lizzo's Instagram, we are not, I am not, um, saying that what she does is all correct either <laughs> but the point of it is she goes over the top to like bring attention to the matter right and so but we've got to find this balance like we're not going to be you know twerking in thongs on instagram at least i'm not going Cancel to song order and twerking <laughs> video on well, the other Cancel. side of that i also am not going to be like oh my gosh i gotta lose 20 pounds i'm gonna get what's the new diet you know and so like where's the balance of like taking care of your body having a good body image loving your body and being kind to yourself and being healthy without being like, I'm going to go totally this other end of the spectrum where, you know, I'm twerking on Instagram. <laughs> so, you know, there's a, there's a yeah. between, you know, so I that's what that, Yeah. I think that the point is that like your body is not the most important thing about you. We're yes. not saying that your body doesn't matter into like just whatever it, but I think in Christianity, you know, there's, there's all these different, um, there's different ways you can interpret scripture to say like, like one person could read it and be like, well, I need to eat. I need to do the Daniel fast. Right. Because there are specific things in scripture that say like what not to eat. And then somebody else could be like, whatever freedom, free in Christ doesn't matter what I do to my body. And like, neither of those are right. Like you don't need to be OCD about it. And I can say OCD as a qualifier because I actually have OCD. So I'm not just like being one of those tricky people who's like, I'm so OCD Um, (laughs) when they like their closet, Um, (laughs) full circle to closet. But um, I think that, yeah, I think it can just go to extremes in Christianity too. So a little bit about this series, um, just sort of like the trajectory we're going. So we're in our, our first episode today, and the one next week will be with Rebecca Scritchfield, which this is so cool. I'm so excited that um, I didn't know at the time, but if you are a real simple subscriber and you got your January issue, there's a big article in it about intuitive eating, and Rebecca's quoted in it, which is awesome. It's awesome. It's the makes first article like, on their website right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, we always like to say that we have people on who are too good for us and she's too good for us, but I'm happy. I'm so glad she came on and she's awesome. Um, Rebecca is a nutritionist based in DC. She wrote a book called Body Kindness, which has really, I mean, that's one of like a handful of books that just on this journey I've been on um, has helped me tremendously to see my body as not like this thing to be like fixing. I think a lot of us um, go into it 
thinking like, or a lot of the time when we view our bodies as women, I think we think like, uh, we objectify it. We think objectively and not like as if we're in it and it's us, we kind of see it as like other than us. And um, her whole message is about just like, she's not saying don't care, but I think the thing people get wrong about intuitive eating, I'm going to wrap up in a second. I could talk about this all day, but I think when people think of it, they think, Oh, that just means eat whatever you want and don't care. But the point of what she's saying and all of these other voices that are coming out now are saying is like, if you do whatever you want, you will choose the best thing for your body. You just, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like if you get complete freedom, it's kind of like freedom in Christ. And we talked about this with her, which I love, but it's like, Freedom in Christ doesn't mean like, oh, I'm not going to go to hell. So I'm just going to do whatever the heck I want all the time. No, it's like when you feel freedom, then you choose good things. And like that is the whole like the parallel between intuitive eating and like sort of this body kindness, just like seeing your body as a tool and a gift and not as like this thing to fix. Um, And I I just see so many parallels and I, I really feel convicted like in my guts that like, I believe this is how God made us. I believe this is how, like, and of course, disclaimer, some people have to be on special diets for medical reasons. But I'm saying, like, I think God gave us hunger and fullness signals. He gave us, like, that's just how we're built. And when we try to go from the outside and say, like, I need 17 grams of protein at a meal and, like, do these things, I I just don't think that's what his best is for us. Um, Again, Sometimes they're extenuating circumstances. Yeah, I'm just talking about yeah. reasonably healthy average people. So anyway, we talked to Rebecca kind of about the background, like the cultural messages, maybe things that you've heard your whole life and you never even realized were something called diet culture. We talked about what is diet culture. Um, some of the, yeah, just things you've made, you've probably internalized and don't even realize that they're problematic or that you don't have to think that way about your body or yourself. And then we go into kind of like, what is body kindness? A little bit about like what is intuitive eating and that sort of um, conversation. So she was super generous and it's a really long conversation. So we split it up into two parts. Um, yep. And then the next week after that, we're going to be going into more of like a biblical kind of counselor perspective, saying something or saying like, what do you, I mean, like, what is the Bible saying? What yes. would you say? Or okay. Yeah. What, I mean, what, it, what, it, what does God have to say about how we treat our bodies um, and how we manage our bodies and how it, it's connected to our spirit and our soul and the oneness of our body and the importance of our bodies without them being, without them being an object or an idol, I would say is yes. where we're going with yes. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's what I wanted to say, the idol thing. Because I think yes. if you look at our culture nowadays, this health is idolized. We yeah. talk about that with the right too like um because health is important but is it the most important thing in your life like i don't know should it be but i think for a lot of us it is so we're talking about those things and then we're talking about biblical perspective and then we're gonna have kind of like a what now episode because i think like you know we're gonna go into like you don't you don't have to do any of this stuff you know like you don't have to like exercise three times a week you don't have to but like what if you do want to pursue health in a way that is kind like what what do you do because it can get you know, because I think a lot of the messaging from our culture kind of, is you throw the baby out with the bathwater, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And so, yeah. here's Murphy. Yay, Murphy. Stop the whole time. Um, 
Also, random note, we got this clicker that makes him stop barking, and I'm going to link it in the show notes in case you have a barking dog. I don't have it with me, which is why he's still barking, but it really works. And I'm going to send it to Rebecca and Link because it's so good. Um, Yeah, we we used one of those on our dog when we first got her from rescue, and it totally works. Uh So, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's humane. Um, Don't worry, guys. It's humane. What did you say? I said it's humane. Don't worry, guys. I don't want to get any emails about how that it's humane. Not humane. <laughs> it's not a shock collar. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a shock collar. It's like a um, it's like a high pitched yeah, like, yeah, thing. Yeah. Yep. It's like that thing. So it, it's humane. I'm, yeah. I think. <laughs> but at this point, it's inhumane how much he stresses us out barking. So there you go. Um. Anyways, but yeah. So we're gonna have kind of a what now episode. So that's yep. the trajectory of this series, and I'm really excited about it. I yep. feel really passionately, and I think um. I think even if you feel like you don't struggle with body image, like you should still listen. Cause I think everybody has someone yes. who struggles or might have a daughter or, or whatever. Daughter, so hopefully yes. Yes. this blesses you. We pray that um, it gives you freedom and like just a different way of looking at it maybe. And maybe a, a counter voice to what you may be hearing this time of year. Uh-huh. I agree. Sounds good. I'm excited about it. I'm excited for everybody to hear it and to hear what everybody thinks about it. All right. Okay. So listen in. We'll talk to you later. Okay. No, we won't talk to you later. No. No, we're not. Talk to us, talk to us on the internet. We want to hear from you. We okay. will talk to you later. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>welcome back to woven and we're in the middle of our body image series and so we have a very special guest today i'm really excited to introduce you to if you don't know her already her name is rebecca spritchfield she is a registered dietitian is that your official title rebecca yes okay in dc but um i found her work through her wonderful book body kindness which we'll have linked to the show notes and she also has an incredible podcast also called body kindness and she y'all know i've talked about my own like kind of body image struggles a couple times on the podcast and i would say rebecca's work is one of the top three people who has really transformed my relationship with my body and just like my health overall so i'm thrilled that you said yes to be on the podcast and that you're here welcome rebecca Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Would you um, introduce our listeners to you, kind of tell us a little bit about your practice and what you focus on? Absolutely. Um, So as you mentioned, I'm based in Washington, D.C. And so I see clients, uh, uh, kids, families, adults, um, mostly women, mostly women with a a history of chronic dieting and body image or weight concerns. Um, Sometimes there's also um, health-related concerns that might come into the mix. And I would say about half also have either a present eating disorder or an eating disorder history. And in addition to being a dietitian, I'm also a certified exercise physiologist and I'm certified as a clinical anxiety counselor. And really, I mean, I'll keep getting certified, (laughs) you know, because I mean, honestly, it's, One of the things that I realized was that to realize this dream that I've had since I was a little girl, which is really to help people, it was really that basic is that you really learn and understand what it means to be a human and what it means to be a human in this world. And it's not just what are we eating today? Or Mm -hmm. how did our clothes fit? Or, you know, it we're so much more complex than that. Our needs for our well-being um, is very, they're very complex and they're impacted by um, 
everything from the way we're raised to our lived experiences, to our personal values, to the culture as a whole. Um, So it really is important to me to have a sense of first and foremost, my job is to listen to what is bothering um, folks, because I, you know, I believe that everybody can heal. Um, what's bothering them. And so I want to know about it. And I want to try to be um, a support system or the voice of that inner caregiver that's quite often lacking. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and yeah, and so, but I do see people in addition to the in person space, I do see folks virtually as well. Um, so, you know, time zones, no boundaries. <laughs> if, if, if you're, you know, struggling with connecting to yourself and really naming and living your values, even for what does it even mean, um, you know, to, to, to take care of yourself or to, what does it mean to be healthy or feel healthy? Or, and how do you know that you're in a good space? Um, mm-hmm. These are a lot of the questions and problems that, that ultimately people struggle with who come to see me, whether they're trying to get to a better place in their eating disorder recovery, or it's like, they're just feeling that it would be nice to be good to themselves on a regular basis, right? They want to learn how to quiet that critic and that Mm -hmm. judgment. They want to know how to kind of replace shame with kindness and compassion. That's awesome. Um, And what do you think? I mean, I don't know if you specifically said diet culture, but that's something, a concept I'm really familiar with, but I know a lot of our listeners maybe have never heard that or when they think about, can you kind of, can we take like a, can we step outside of our culture that we're so in mm-hmm. and can you be like the neutral observer and just tell me what you see in our current health space right now? Yeah. You know, what I would say is it's, I mean, so nobody can escape diet culture. I mean, it's here, it's strong. It's here before we've all been born. I mean, the, the stuff that I have learned, you know, whether it goes back to what is considered the first diet book um, was written by a man, of course, right? <laughs> William, I know, there I go. It it's all goes down to the patriarchy. But um, we, it does. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're familiar, right? So, so William Banting wrote this book um, called, well, it was a pamphlet that sold tons of copies and it was called Letter on Corpulence. And essentially, he talks about this miracle weight loss that he experienced and still got to drink two beers a day, right? And, it, and, and fundamentally, it very much looks almost like today's paleo. So like, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't do bread, but I did meat. And anyway, what, what's, what's fascinating when you look at that just as a text, because that was in the 1800s. And, and, and there, there are researchers who, who have examined diet books as, as text manuals and kind of what it says about culture. Mm-hmm. And what I see in his experience is he was a guy, you know, like he was busy and he was working and he had, he was a larger guy. He had a belly, you know, and what he was experiencing was, was weight bias. People teased Mm -hmm. him and judged him based on his appearance. So he did these things that resulted in some short-term weight loss and he was treated better. Mm -hmm. So as we, start to talk about diet culture and weight stigma today. That's what I mean when I said it was going on since before we were born. Um, You know, or or even something like the bathroom scale, right? So that 
came to be in the early 1900s. And it was a novelty. A scale was a novelty item. They started to put them, they were called penny scales. And they would put them like outside of picture shows and where people were going to be entertained. And you drop a penny in and you step on and the thing whirls around and you see a number and I guess you giggle. I I don't quite know what the novelty was. (laughs) Um, But it was a big bulky piece of equipment. They literally didn't have the design down, but once they saw how profitable they were making, you know, in that time, tens of thousands of dollars a year, Mm -hmm. they worked on scaling the technology, right? You know, this should be very familiar, right? It's just today it's a Fitbit, right? But they worked on scaling the technology to get it down, but they had to come up with a use. So they, meaning advertisers and marketers, you know, and you could see this in the first ads, they put them in the bathroom. They drew the woman in her bathroom wearing her curlers with her doting daughter looking up at her, mommy, you're taking care of yourself. You know, and with these words, the health benefits of daily weighing for happiness, for success. And they literally blurbed it. The New York Academy of Medicine says that you should do this, right? It's it's advertising. It's madmen before there were madmen. Mm-hmm. But I can guarantee you that these ads were written by privileged white males mm-hmm. and, and put the woman on it. Yeah. And the company that had the first scale is still in business today. So what does that say about our culture? You know, um, so I could take it way back, you know, to the 1800s, early 1900s. This this is, you know, what I would call diet culture today. It's it's everything that says you you aren't worthy unless you mm-hmm. lose weight, right? That you've got to do whatever it takes, spend your money, spend your time, spend all your available resources on your weight, shape, and appearance. That's how you earn worthiness and value. And, and, and medicine has adopted that. You know, we like to think that medicine is here just to help people, but medicine makes money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when medicine can, you know, talk to you about weight loss, they can bill insurance for that. When they can give you a pill, they can bill insurance for that. So there's a whole system. That's what I really want people to know. There's a whole system that profits. It's over $70 billion a year. I think that was a 2018 figure. So I'm sure it's good, you know, if not already over a hundred billion a year, it just grows with, you know, time, but there's a lot of value and money and power in making you feel like you are not good enough and you have to keep investing and buying your worthiness. And, Mm -hmm. you know, ultimately, what, what do we know, right? That we are all human beings. There is and has always been size diversity. You know, it's just the idea that, that, that the same way genetics predicts height, it also predicts weights. And that changes based on where we live in the world. Um, And then also a lot of factors that we could bring more into the present day. So a lot of factors that are actually outside of our control besides our genetics, but other things um, such as our socioeconomic status, um, the the things that we have experienced, if we've experienced um, bias or or stigma or judgment, not just based on weight, but um, it could be based on our faith, based on our race. Um, If we've been judged 
judged by others, this has an impact on our sense of self and our sense of worthiness. And it can impact how you talk to yourself. It can impact what you think is important. And it can really powerfully influence your mindset and your day-to-day choices. And, 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 and really, it leaves you like chasing this elusive, you know, dangling carrot, right? Mm-hmm. Then I can be happy if yeah. only I achieve this certain amount of health and appearance and weight. Yeah. Oh my gosh, there's so much there. <laughs> I want to go back just a minute though to, can you talk a little about BMI? Because mm-hmm. we were talking about medicine. Medicine uses BMI as like a like a gauge, right? I am clinically obese, as are a lot of people <laughs> on a BMI scale. Can that you, blows my mind. That you, is, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> can you talk a little about, because um, it wasn't developed to... Wasn't it developed just to control a small portion of the population for like a study or something? Can you talk about that a little? Sure. So I like to reframe. I like to reframe a lot of things. So (laughs) the new name for BMI is the BS measurement of inaccuracy. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Okay. Yeah, me too. So, um, so, so this was a tool. It's a very rudimentary tool, height for weight. And of course, the standard for which it was developed was based off of white males. Mm. Um, This is around the 1930s. It was supposed to be used as a rudimentary, generalized predictor, kind of like of a population health status that included using weight. Um, But because it didn't, you know, the root population wasn't a diverse population. You know, it is like comparing apples to oranges. We are also using it now as like an individual marker and an individual judgment. So what is supposed to happen when, when um, a child is two, they get put on a growth chart from two to 18. And again, we have size diversity. So some kids will start higher on that growth curve. Mm -hmm. You know, you might hear something like a percentile, 85th percentile, 95th percentile. Mm -hmm. You know, you might even hear outside of a hundredth percentile. You also might hear fifth percentile, 50th, 25th. Okay. And they plotted it too. And every year you go see the pediatrician and, you know, when I take my daughters, their shoes come off, I turn them around and say, look at mommy, you look great, you know, you make it as short and pleasant as possible, you know, and the doctor plots on their growth curve. And generally what that is supposed to tell us is, should we be concerned about malnourishment because they're falling below their curve and weight stigma aside? This should be a concern if, say, somebody is growing at 80, 85th percentile and they show up and they've dipped down, right? Mm -hmm. A doctor should look at that and be like, wonder if this child's needs are getting met. It shouldn't look and say, oh, well, based on BMI, we're fine here, Mm -hmm. right? What if that parent's putting them on a diet and restricting their energy needs for calcium and vitamins and minerals because of weight teasing at school, Mm -hmm. right? So- We're supposed to chart on this growth curve from two to 18. And then after 18 and we're in our adult window, right? Our bodies 
naturally defend a weight range. And this is where a range it that it's effortless to maintain mm. with positive self-care habits. And we end up engaging in dieting because we think we're supposed to. And that actually creates weight cycling where we lose weight and regain. And, and what we know is that 85% of dieters will regain the weight they even they lost and some will even gain more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody says, the more I diet, the more gay- weight I gain after and they're blaming themselves, actually your body is working great. It's trying to prevent starvation. It's trying to rebound from starvation. It's the dieting and the weight suppression that was actually problematic. So how that all ties back into the body mass index is go back to the system, right? There There are guidances right now for medical doctors that say, weigh your patient when you see them and calculate their BMI. And if their BMI is higher, recommend intensive lifestyle intervention. So it does not say, and that's how you get billed. That's how they get to bill insurance. It does not say, first talk to your patients about concerns they might have about being weighed because it is an optional screening. What if somebody has an eating disorder or trauma history? That if, that weighing, people actually, there's science now that shows that people avoid going to see the doctor because they're afraid of weight shame of being weighed. Mm-hmm. So it's, it really is a mess, right? If we have these medical providers who are supposed to run our labs You know, it might be a short visit, but there's a job to do. What's my family history? Make sure my mental and physical health is on track, or if not, help connect the dots for me, right? And the very first thing we do before we even see the doctor is we have to step on the the hunk of metal. Yeah. And the BMI is calculated. And like you said, like you, you, you seem to have some feelings around the clinically obese, right? Like that, 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 that says something about your health or your worth. That is wrong. You know, the, the word obese, even it means to eat to eat oneself fat. It's actually not scientifically mm-hmm. true that people who meet the BMI for, for obesity, and I'm doing the air quotes because mm-hmm. I hate even using the O words, but mm-hmm. people who meet that <laughs> qualification, it does not mean that you've eaten yourself there. People yeah. can diet themselves there. It could be a genetic. Um, many factors well, that yeah. can influence that. I mean, for me, it's, it's all of those things. It's being on diets from middle school onward having that exact weight cycling thing happen where I would just, I would lose weight. It would be great. And then I would gain more. And like, well, obviously something's wrong with me. I have to diet. And like, I'm, I really think that I, I mean, and I'm, I'm a size like 14, like I'm, I'm average for American woman. Like I'm not like a huge person, but like I'm healthy. I do the right things. And I finally have found a primary care doctor who will say like, like she'll, we'll talk and then she'll say, this is the part where I have to tell you you're obese so that I can like, da, da, da. this is the part where I tell you, but she's like kind of going through this. So I can get my money. Yeah, Why? That she's like, but you know <laughs> that I know like, cause she's great. And she's like, I know yeah. she's like, you're healthy. I see your labs, but like, I have to say, like, she acknowledges mm-hmm. like, I have to say this to you. And I'm like, okay. And then like, we move on and it's like, she knows it's just silly and doesn't mm-hmm. harp on it, which I appreciate. But I, I mean, I can relate to that because for a long time, I mean, even when I was like 20 pounds less, 30 pounds less, when I wasn't even like as, I mean, I don't think I'm big now, but like as big, um, I remember doctors would always talk about that. I, w- I went in for mono 
And it was mm-hmm. like, well, have you, have you thought about losing weight? And I'm like, of course I've thought about it. It's all I've thought about my entire life is losing weight. It's all I've thought about. What does that have to do with mono? What does that have to do with my mono? Yeah. You know, there, it's interesting because there was um, a piece in the Journal of American Medical Association. I remember the image was like a higher weight person pointing at that their ear was hurting mm-hmm. and the doctor is pointing at the BMI chart. Yeah. And so the whole piece was about kind of really, and for JAMA, that's, you know, that's helpful, right? Like it's helpful in addressing, you know, medical weight stigma to basically say, you know, how should we maybe be focusing on, on what patients are coming in asking for? Um, and just, this is not to tell anyone what to do, but I do have one little piece of information. Um, when I see the doctor, I decline being weighed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I decline being weighed because I know that I can make a decision to agree to be weighed if there's any medical reason for it to become necessary. And the burden should not be on us. But so you know, there is a way for the doctors to do their charts and all they need to do is write patient declined. And when they do that, they can't calculate your BMI and then they can't have a weight conversation with you. They might say so anyway, and that might be them doing their weight bias thing. That is weight bias too. Well, as long as you're healthy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it is our body autonomy. And, and I am a person, I deeply value health and well-being, right? Why do I make sure I get my sleep? Because I know that that has an impact on how I feel. Why do I make time for movement? Because not only do I love how I feel when I move my body, I've had enough time in my journey now where, where I know my values for why I'm moving it. And so mm-hmm. sometimes it's challenging and that challenge can be hard and fun right? And sometimes it's like, oh, this is just a lovely, mindful walk. And I feel so good just getting that energy going and just enjoying the season, mm-hmm, yeah. you know? Um, so, so when you can better align it with your values, it, it takes on a new meaning. So, so yeah, so it's just, it is, um, lots of people are going to have weight concerns for, um, even maybe a majority of our lives because it's just given. It's given as the message. This is a problem. And the only way to create a better life is through weight loss. And that is where I want to challenge people in their thinking is, look, if we we all could magically control our weight, I mean, wouldn't we all just do that? Follow the rules and conform? That's what we're all looking for. Give me the rules. (laughs) You know, I promise I'll be the good girl and I'll do it. But it's more about relating how you know, thinking about your values as a person, thinking about the things that you are in charge of, which are meaningful actions, anything from how you speak to yourself, also to dealing with when there is something that bothers you, um, that you want to change. But while you might have a concern about your weight or your doctor saying, wait, wait, exercise or wait, wait, eat better, where you can just stop and say, look, I have some information now where I know that as much as I might have a concern about weight or question whether or not, you know, my body is okay, right? I can make space for that concern to be there, but I don't ultimately control that. What I do control is how I talk to myself, the decisions I make, how do I help things better fit my preferences and find find a workable way of living and being where I feel like my body isn't a project, mm-hmm. right? 
here are things I do to care for myself. And I also want to focus on my friends. I want to focus on my work. I want to focus on my partner's family, um, my faith, right? There are lots of things that matter to me, not just the checklist of the rules I need to follow that say that my body is good enough. That's ultimately what I want to help people challenge. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of your whole thing with body kindness is the mindset shift out of like, I need to fix this. I need to fix myself to like, I love myself. So how can I care for myself? Well, and I remember for me when I, I mean, I finally stopped dieting when my girls were like, maybe I have almost five year old twin girls. And when they were two, I remember like just thinking, I can't be this example for them. Like I, like they're still young enough where they didn't pick up on like my weird behaviors and my like controlling stuff with food. But uh, it wasn't just what I didn't want them to see. It was also like, I saw how much of my energy went to that. I mean, it was like, it, I was always thinking about like what I ate, what I didn't eat, what I exercised, how I didn't exercise. Was I good enough? And I have OCD too, so I'm a hot mess. But mm-hmm. that, but that really <laughs> we all are. We all are a hot mess. <laughs> but it just, it became this thing where I was like, I just, I cannot do this. And I will tell you, like giving that up has been really hard. And it's been, I mean, you know, like two steps forward, three steps back. I still fall into counting calories in my head or Weight Watcher points or whatever. But I think overall as a whole, I'm doing so much better and I have such a more full life because I have stopped because it's, it's like that Annie Dillard quote, like how you spend your days is how you spend your life. Mm-hmm. And it's true. Cause we think like, well, I'll stop when, Yeah. but it's like, meanwhile, I'm 35 years old and I've been doing this for 20 years. When am I going to stop? You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to meet the point. Yeah. And like, you know, specific to body kindness, the book, like in writing the book, my, you know, my big question was, this is who I want to help. Um, someone who feels that they're at their diet rock bottom, right? So the subtitle, mm-hmm. never say diet again, but they're going, but, but, but I care about health. And yeah. so, so this is confusing. Yeah. Like, yeah. how am I supposed to think about broccoli? And what am I supposed to think about white pasta? Because that was not allowed on Whole30, you know? Yeah. So, so I really felt that the way culture defines health is problematic. And so I wanted to write a book that would sort of answer some of those burning questions in part one about what you do about your choices, right? But if you notice, it eventually gets you into, let's talk about feelings and emotions because that might impact your choices. And like, hey, it's okay to have negative emotions. Like there's a beneficial purpose to like, Mm -hmm. life wasn't sweet and I'm craving something sweet, right? And there's a big difference between yeah, you know, I think I think that today it does sound good to have like some yummy cupcakes or some yummy chocolate chips or something yummy from the fridge where it could be this like mindful, positive and joyful choice, not a like, oh my gosh, I can't handle it yeah. kind of cut and run numbing decision. So there, yeah. there's such a difference there. And then sometimes people learn that like five deep breaths and a couple minutes with some lavender oil and maybe like, you know, reading a couple lines of scripture and it's just like, no, I think I'm better regulated right now. You know, I I still feel that today wasn't sweet, but I'm completing this stress cycle and there'll be another time for me to enjoy something sweet in a more meaningful way, you know, and to Mm -hmm. know that neither one of those choices are right or wrong. They're just different. But in that scenario, you're in charge of deciding how you want to care for yourself in that moment. And that, that would be the body kind of switch. And then, and then as the book goes further, 
who you are is really about, okay, so now that we've like started letting go of certain things and we've done these journal reflective prompts and we've noticed these spiral ups, these spiral ups, like let's think about your values and what really matters. That's where I feel like I'm finally helping people to like, you know, you don't have to spend all your time on your body. You know, yeah. there are other things you care about, but yeah. but it, it is kind of focus on like values around your, your self-care patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally that last part of where you belong, it, it, it that, and that's where the, the, the spirituality stuff comes in. And my friend, Leslie, who's the story in there, um, you know, she is just, a wonderful person and, um, you know, really helped me really help provide a powerful story about how, how sometimes you don't feel that you're strong enough, like you don't have what it takes. And when you can lean on, um, the people that you feel like you can connect to and where you belong, right? So that could be your Bible study group. It could be, um, you know, any moment that you could have with your faith as a powerful source of connection, that there, there's so much more to healthy well-being yeah. outside of this physical space that I'm taking up. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's really interesting how a lot of times, how much we project onto our weight and appearance that isn't actually about it. I feel like that's kind of the go-to, or at least for me, it and I think this is true for a lot of women, but like if anything bad was going on in my life or anything uncomfortable, I could at least control what I ate or didn't eat, whether that meant I was like overeating and rebellion or I wasn't eating enough because I was trying to fix myself. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of women do this, right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of how we learn. It's how we learn to know that we're, that we're still good you know, so we all have these different parts of ourselves. And so we all have an inner child, right? Mm-hmm. And you're probably familiar with this with children, like, and, 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 and I've got a seven and a five and a half year old. Um, and so they're, they're still very much in this age range where all they want is to be good. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and what they know is, am I good or am I bad? And that stays with us. Right. And so that's how we can end up carrying a lot of shame, right? Because we're going into this dichotomy of thinking of this is good or this bad is bad. And, you know, we're not good or bad people for being human. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I think that what happens is we're going through life and it almost feels like a tidal wave is coming. And our mind says, oh, I'm scared. I can't handle this. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and our brain is actually working. So the amygdala is like, we got to get out of here. This is dangerous. And the problem is, is that our cortex, which is a different part of our brain, it's a frontal part of our brain. It's not developed in kids. So again, they're, am I good or am I bad? They're more amygdala mm-hmm. focused. Um, the cortex can learn to do a job to tell the amygdala to stand down, to be like, you know, this feels challenging and it's okay to feel this stress. This is energy because we really care about this relationship or this project or this, you know, like some, something is falling apart and I didn't want it to fall apart. So this, this is all making sense. This is my body working and it can actually learn to tell the amygdala to stand down that we don't have to cut and run. That We are still good people, even if we're the ones who made the mistake mm-hmm. and we could feel that 
you know, that redness, that, that heat, that that's a, it's like a flush of shame. It's like, oh, I am bad. I am bad. And it's the cortex can learn it. And this is through caregiving. Hey, it's okay. Sometimes we make mistakes and life is hard. And oh gosh, it's really hard to be here right now. You, you are good and you're good just for being born. And we are going to get through this. Like, what do we need right now? What do we need right now that matters? And I think when women are, are stuck in that sort of control around food or body, it's what the cortex is saying, hey, this is how you get safe. Follow the rules, yeah. be the good girl, and then you're safe again. Yeah. And so it becomes a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. And so what I want people to understand is that you really are doing your best but not all of our thoughts and feelings are really helpful. And so sometimes when that inner monitor is coming out, I want to protect the inner child. Let's count calories. I want to protect mm-hmm. the inner child. I want to do the diet plan. That monitor is really trying to go at bat and help you survive that tidal wave of emotion. But the monitor isn't really helpful because in the end, you end up blaming and shaming yourself from these yeah. rules that you're putting you around. Mm-hmm. And so that's why that caregiver, it's a soft, quiet voice. But if you practice body kindness, I promise you will connect to that caregiver because your caregiver doesn't judge and just says, oh, gosh, it's it's okay, but this is hard. What do you need right now? Let's take a breath. Let's take a minute. What do we need right now? Just this moment. And the caregiver really is what helps you get from that downward spiral that I describe in the book to more of a neutral feeling and eventually a spiral up again. You will get there. Can we talk for a second about emotional eating and Ooh, how yeah. it's not always like terrible? Yes. Yeah, this is fascinating. Um, so the first thing that I'll say is it's okay if you're at a place where it's like I have to end emotional eating, right? Because it can feel like I can feel urgent. It can feel like you know, nothing good comes out of it. It's been mm-hmm. such a source of pain. I have to end it. I have to get rid of it. What's happening in that mindset is it's where you're at in remembering the pain and likely in relating to an acknowledgement that there is actually some type of trauma there. A lot of times we, so first of all, bad things happen to good people all the time. And many folks will deal with really big, significant traumas in their life. Oftentimes, we deal with other types of trauma that seem smaller, and we seem like we feel like we shouldn't we shouldn't acknowledge this as a bad thing or as a problem. Mm-hmm. But we all go through various forms of pain, and we feel um, like we're not supposed to feel this pain, so we try to like numb it or cut and run away from it. And what we end up doing is we end up creating suffering. Mm-hmm. Right. So that person who's like, I don't ever want to emotionally eat again. You know, the first thing I would say is, eh, that's a dead person's goal because a dead person will never emotionally <laughs> eat again. Right. And that's not really a body kindness goal because you can't really control that because it might happen. Let's acknowledge it. But it's more about when I feel triggered to eat emotionally, what might I try to do? What do I think is more in line with my values? What do I think is more in line with body kindness when that urge comes? And so, you know, I do want to acknowledge that that feeling of this needs to end and this needs to go away makes sense. But I would challenge you to think about, is it because that you're, you're really seeking freedom from pain? 
and that, mm-hmm. you know, trauma and that, that nobody gets a pain-free life. And so what if you reframed it is to like, that I would like to minimize my suffering, right? And feel the painful experiences and think about what I need in the moment. Um, so, so that's one element of it. And then the second thing, which I hope is delightful is that emotional eating is biologically very beneficial. Um, it just might be your experience, um, that you change with it. And I will share it like this. When we are feeling um, that stressful energy, right? We wake up in the morning, it's going to be a great day. And like, we, we do, we do, we do. And we're, we produce. And as the day wanes on, we get lower in energy. Our thinking power kind of goes way down. We start to feel naturally tired. And we, we end up with these like, opportunities to eat emotionally. And it might be, you know, before the evening hustle comes with family, it might be when everyone else has gone to bed, Mm -hmm. but it's actually become a habit based on these opportunities for like a little soothing, a little Mm -hmm. hug, a little joy, a little pleasure, a little peace. And, And those are all basic human needs that sometimes food can really come in and fill and be beneficial and not problematic. It's just part of who you are and part of what you do to create a better life. Um, I think that sometimes people's emotional eating might bother them because it's the only thing they go to. Or maybe they eat a lot of food and they feel so much shame afterwards. And so it's really going to be a personal exploration to try to connect to what really bothers me about my emotional eating pattern. But just know that your biology also, from all this stress and cortisol that's running through your blood through the day, and that's your energy to fight the, you know, all the stressful things, you know, the lions and tigers and bears of your day, that we need some serotonin. Mm-hmm. And serotonin is like a relaxing neurotransmitter. And guess what helps your body make serotonin? Chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, chocolate. So it's actually carbohydrate foods or sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you you say, know, we, mine's, so not, we, mine's not chocolate. Mine, <laughs> mine's like Cheez-Its. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine's chips and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so you have more of the savory one, right? Yeah, but yeah. similar thing. That, that it is when your body is craving sugar, whether it's sweet or sort of savory, crunchy, you know, kind of carbohydrate rich foods, that there's a certain like mouth satiety that you're looking for. It's like, oh, that sounds like a hug. But also... <laughs> Biologically, I promise you, your Cheez-Its can hug you. If you really think about, like, think about how you imagine, like, like we've just met, but how might you imagine Rebecca Scritchfield gets a hug from some Cheez-Its, right? Does she run to the cupboard, run to the bag and right. doesn't really even open her eyes before her hand scraping the bottom of a box, you know, or does she say, you know what, there were some aggravations of today and like, you know, I did some hard things and I would like to crunch on something that's yeah, like, yeah. I'm feeling salty. I would like to crunch on something. Oh, I've got Cheez-Its. I love Cheez-Its. Let me go ahead and take some. Let me kind of vent either to myself or to somebody I care about. And let me have a moment and enjoy Mm -hmm. some Cheez-Its. 
you know, where it really is okay, where I'm really like, these taste good. This is yummy. Yeah. You know, so, so you, there, there is probably a lot of powerful reframing that needs to happen, but just know that a craving to soothe with food is part of how we take care of our emotions. It's just, there might be a line where it's like, well, but I've never tried deep breathing or I've never tried, you know, venting to somebody because I don't want to bother them. You know, so it's, it's when we tell ourselves, I have no needs. Don't bother your friend. Don't talk to your partner. Um, you know, don't take 15 minutes to play and giggle and laugh with your kids. Go right to the food, you know? So, so, so it's not that nothing could change about our relationship to food and emotional eating, but we first got to understand why we got to understand where we've been right? So if we've been dieting and food has been a sense of control, that emotional eating is also an act of rebellion. I'm sick of this control. Give me the food, you know, and also it could be biological. We need, we just need some serotonin. So, you know, just for a piece of information, we don't need a lot of carbohydrate foods to get that serotonin. So, and that's not to say, so always self-control around the Cheez-Its, you know, we got to be really flexible here. But I want you to think of what sounds like a joyful experience first. You tell me what sounds joyful. What sounds like a hug? If you were on the stage, right? And you were mentoring young members of your church group and you were telling them the truth about relationship to food, what might you tell them you think sounds good about emotional eating is it, you know, you want, you, you have so much more wisdom. We have so much more wisdom, a gut feeling than we really give ourselves credit for. So I would really empower you in your own lives and any listener, just start with your gut thoughts. You might hear a, a caregiver come out. You might hear a monitor like, oh, should you really write this down? What if, what if you might hear a punisher? Don't write that down. What's wrong with you? You know, yeah. this is the worst thing you could do. So just acknowledge those voices. Oh, thank you mind for being here. I'm just writing down some ideas. I'm not judging it yet. I'm just trying to think about this. Um, and you know, there is some structure and body kindness that can help you think and reflect, but you know, don't expect it, this to be like the new rule book that replaces the diet rule book. <laughs> I mean, there is a structure and guides because you kind of have to be, you know, author means authority. It means it's kind of tell people what to there's do. A prescription involved. <laughs> yeah. 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 But there's a prescription that says you're really in charge. And so I want you to think about what matters to you. And mm-hmm. I want you to try and experiment because only you're going to know through practicing of body kindness, what you think might be positive or joyful or meaningful. I'm just curious because you're practicing it. Like, and you hear me talking about this very thing. Like, can you name one thing that you feel like, wow, this was significant. Like guys, this is what Rebecca is talking about when she's saying all this stuff. Yeah. I think for me, um, it's the emotional eating thing because I came into it. Like when I would emotionally eat under stress previously, it would be like a whole, like, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be a binge, but it would be like a whole meal and it would have to just be this like, and I was just bound and determined. I was like, I'm doing this. It was very rebellious. And, um, as I started saying like, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Like maybe I'm allowed to do this when I, when I became allowed to do it, a lot of the power went away and it took a lot less. So now 
I'm just on it. Like, so it's just really funny. Like it used to be like, I go through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and I get the big like French fries and I come home and I'm just like, and I'm stuffing my face and I'm like not even tasting it. And it's like, sort of like you're on autopilot. You're like in that weird mm-hmm. shame autopilot. Yeah. It's the difference between like sitting down to a nice little bowl of ice cream and like stuffing chocolate chips from your pantry in your face to numb out. Like that's the difference. And so I was doing mm-hmm. the numb thing previously. And then when I started allowing it, which was scary, I mean, it's scary to say I'm going to chew. And I would say it, I would be like, I tell my husband, like, Chris, I'm choosing to emotionally eat right now, just so you know. I know we just had dinner, but I'm about to have some chocolate, and I just want you. And he'd be like, okay. <laughs> but, but I have to say it I would get, Hey, it's okay. You do you. Right? <laughs> but our mind is saying, this is bad. You got to yeah. hide it. You got to hurry up. And so that's exactly – it's yeah. interesting. It's good that you, that you went ahead and said something because your yeah. caregiver was trying to say, hey, this is really okay. And if you need to check in with someone else, like, that's fine because you probably had yeah. that monitor. It's like, what are you? doing you can't eat something right now out yeah. in the open well and it, so it's that's funny, a good example like even so I'm a few years in now and like I remember I went through all the stages you're talking about like at first it was rebellion it was like mm-hmm. this is too many Weight Watcher points and if I eat this I can't eat for the rest of the day or I have to eat like apples all day so mm-hmm. it was just that thing of like I'm gonna get what I want and then eventually after I had all those like you know, treat foods or more indulgent foods, I kind of got to a point where I was like, no, I actually just want like a salad with salmon. Like that's actually, and like I was actually craving it, but when I was trying to make myself do it, mm-hmm. it like wasn't happening, you know, cause then it was just guilt and shame. And I was thinking about what I was missing out on. Um, and I feel like now I'm in a place where even emotionally eating, like sometimes it's fine, but a lot of times I'll just kind of like look at it, the food and be like, all right, I mean, I could eat that, but like, it's not going to help. But sometimes mm-hmm. it does help. And I notice like what I'm, I'm just, I'm also more in tune what you were saying about the, um, like I'm feeling salty. I want something salty. I notice mm-hmm. when I'm mad, I want, um, carrots, like baby carrots. Cause they're like crunchy and they're like aggressive. It's like aggressive mm-hmm. to eat them. And um, when I, Rebecca's laughing at me. I'm not laughing. No, I love it. I love I'm not it. laughing at you. I was thinking about you crunching on carrots and your anger, and that was funny. I'm not <laughs> laughing at you. But um, the other one I noticed just yesterday morning, I was eating a bagel, and I had had one of those like really panicky, like stressful mornings, getting kids out the door, and like, or um, you know, just one of those mornings. And so I was eating a bagel, and I was like, bagels are so chewy, and it was like taking time, and it felt like it took time to eat that food. And I, I think I was craving it because it was like, I was having to slow down a part of what had been a frantic day. Does that make sense? Totally. But, and it's, I think that's kind of the reason I want to talk about all of this is like, this is not actually about food in your body. At least it's not for me. For me, it's about coming home to myself and knowing like, what am I feeling? Cause our, our, the way we are around food, how you feel about food is how you feel about your life. The way you eat is how you live. It's true. And so being able to tune in and notice like, Oh, I crave sweets when X like I've, I mean, I, um, recently got my, we may edit this out. I don't know. I recently got my Mirena taken out. So I'm having Mm -hmm. periods again. And I had been really disconnected from like just my cycle and my hormones and stuff. And now I'm able to track that with the foods I'm craving and I'll be like, Mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, I know. Okay. This is going on. So anyway, I would just, I would say this work is, it's very hard work and it's countercultural. It's really difficult. But I think it's just been invaluable to me. I mean, it has changed my life. I'm more in tune with myself. I'm more present with my people. I'm not numbing out with food. And I'm a, my, I have a background as a chef, and it's been really interesting to go from, like, I don't think you can really love something you're abusing. And mm. I was abusing food for a long time, and I feel mm-hmm. like now I have this, like, 
real tender love and appreciation for it that I didn't have when I was mindlessly consuming it. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you got something out of this episode and we will continue our conversation with Rebecca. So there's three Rebecca's if anyone's having trouble um, (laughs) that you were just listening to. Uh, We'll continue that next week. So till then, have a great week and we'll see you then. Okay, bye. So till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye. (laughs)